0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the GRC and Cybersecurity Podcast. In today's episode, in the lead of Cyber and Risk series, we've got a very special guest, Alexander Zitinev. We're going to cover uh, typical questions that we go through, but there's going to be a deep dive today on business continuity, disaster recovery, and how to build a resilient organization. Hi Alex, can you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and the company you work for?
1: Hey Matt, yes, Um, thank you for inviting me. So I'm Alexander Zitinev and I am Group CISO for IFCO systems. I bet you haven't heard about IFCO systems before, but I'm pretty sure you might be one of our customers. So, whenever you do grocery shopping and whenever your listeners do grocery shopping, any, pretty much every, anywhere in the world, take their fruits and veggies from those black boxes. And those black boxes are actually most likely IFCO boxes. So, next time you do grocery shopping, look at the, the side of a of, uh, container that hosts fruits and veggies and those reusable packaging containers is what ifco does we ship them to uh, food producers farmers typically they load mm-hmm. them with produce send them supermarkets supermarkets unload them and then boxes are collapsed sent to washing cleaning repairing and then the cycle repeats up to 100 120 times and then it's shredded in pieces and those from those small chunks new boxes are created cre- created this uh, brings enormous savings and electricity water consumption, CO2 emissions. So that that is very beneficial for environmental, from environmental perspectives. I think so, if co-op system that's that their core business and my job at IFCO is to ensure business processes running uninterrupted and that if um, co-op stays secure and co- uh, our customer data stays secure, our own data stays secure.
0: Fantastic. So before we get any further, one of the things we always like to ask is what do you get up to side of work? If you've got any hobbies, any interests?
1: I'm big on travel. I'm blessed to live in uh, Bavaria in Germany, so we have lots of lots and lots of magnificent sites where you can travel inside the country, outside the country. So travel with family, hiking, three, four, five, six hours in going up the mountain, then enjoying the view, enjoying the food. Um, those are the hobbies during summer season. Alpine skiing for sure, and and cooking good food. I always love food, right? Yeah,
0: good food is definitely something we can all get behind. So you kind of mentioned your role, but what is your role? And can you talk a little bit about the history of how you got into your role?
1: Over 20, yeah, by now over 20 years in information technology and information security started back in 2000, what was it? One, two, three, uh, um, as a help desk. It's a help desk and then grew up in ranks ran desks, then moved into infrastructure, architecture, and um, was deploying systems, infrastructure systems, customer-facing systems, end-user computing systems for large companies. Security was, was always the topic of an interest when, uh, when I, I operate under assumption, or back then at least operated, probably still do, uh, that in order to protect something or to break something, uh, you really need to know what is it that you're protecting and uh, what you're trying to uh, attack and break into. So it took me over, over a decade, probably close to 15 years, to accumulate enough knowledge that I felt sufficiently prepared to move into a role of um, protector, blue team role, basically, and then well, fully switch to uh, uh, switch into information security field. And so the past probably, what, eight or so years, maybe close to 10 years, I'm fully focused on information security. First, uh, security engineering and operations, and now um, taking care of everything that, that that falls under information security's responsibility from governance, risk, compliance, engineering, you name it.
0: Fantastic. So flipping back to Ifco, can you talk a little bit about the size and stage of the information security program and what you're focusing on?
1: Right. So information security at IFCO protects uh, or applies scope of information security program is IFCO as as a whole. So all companies within the group operating pretty much in every country, uh, every country in the world, except for some Central Africa, Australia, some some countries in Asia-Pacific region. We are working together with our colleagues in IT, with our colleagues at risk to ensure security risks are managed within the parameters defined by, by the business. So team itself is very much in line, built in line, created in line with, of uh, course, overall philosophy. The approach is to keep things as lean as reasonably possible and insource intellectual property while outsourcing the actual doing. That, that's, that's the approach I'm pretty sure many of your customers follow a a variation of of this, keep the intellectual property inside and outsource everything that can be outsourced, automation, self-service, third-party automation. Yeah, so that's the setup. Team itself is six people plus me taking care of government's risk compliance, um, security architecture, incident response. And we, we are supported by a number of vendors, external third parties, who actually help us and make things happen
0: and in terms of the team so you said you're based in germany is it a global team are you all based in germany where where is everyone based
1: well actually we just hired one more person in germany until recently there, there wasn't anybody in in germany the team is quite geographically dispersed it's india it's the uk it's the us where uh my, my folks are, are sitting and, and operating I'm, I'm really blessed be able to tap into international global markets using my connections, using and tapping into resource pools that uh, is, is not really available. As, as you know, like searching in, in just one city or one country, quite difficult. And when you can expand your scope, it makes your life easier.
0: Fantastic. So, just in terms of what I would like to ask, where do you report into the organization? Who ultimately do you report into?
1: I report into into the CIO, so CIO is, is my boss. We have been just yesterday discussing it in another forum. What are the right, appropriate reporting lines for a CISO? My five cents there, and I continue repeating it, basically, wherever I get an opportunity to talk about this, this subject, is reporting line for CISO is generally a function of information security and IT maturity at a company. In those companies where CISOs are security manager in charge of firewalls, it probably does not make sense for a company to um, place CISO under as CEO, as chief Re- uh, risk officer, or, or whoever. However, as maturity of a company increases, and important to know that it's not always needed for maturity of company to increase beyond a certain point, uh, but if it does, and when it does, then at some point in time, there is a logical transition from Ciso being the security guy inside IT, so Ciso and Ciso function actually becoming more and more a risk function. Then it then the question comes, and then it obviously depends from company to company. But where is the risk and information security risk best place? Um, I, I really liked a, a statement or example that one of um, colleagues gave uh, just recently. There are three people in advanced, big, mature companies that are dealing with risk. is a general counsel, it's CFO, and it's the CISO. Each of those looking at their individual risks, but ultimately those are the three key risk people inside the company, and obviously the chief risk officer who helps to put everything together under the enterprise risk.
0: Yes. Uh, it's one of those things that we've seen a lot more recently where it's like, actually, Ultimately, it's somewhere where the CSO's voice can be heard in an appropriate manner and you've got the executive sponsor where you feel, I guess, that you can make your point and take it forward, isn't it? I think, I think a lot of it does come down to that, but I do like the way you say, like similar to making it similar to a risk function or an audit function, it becomes a assurance function for the organization rather than through the standard operating lines. And what I think is is also very important, irrespective of how
1: mature, immature organization is and where the CISO is residing, it's very important that the CISO gets a line of communication to be the board, be the the, the C-suite, and getting a a chance to interact with, with the board or higher powers without being proxied by a CIO from time to time, right? And if, as I said, maybe if if the CISO is actually information security manager in charge of antiviruses and firewalls, it still is a good idea for those uh, colleagues in the business to actually um, sit down with your information security manager and hear what he or she has to, to say.
0: Yeah, and it's a great thing to also for them to learn business context, isn't it? And I think that context of the business and being able to say, yes, I have this technical vulnerability, but explaining it to the business, that also could bring down, if you're in finance, the payroll system. It's about helping them understand things and then understanding, actually, that's really important and they need to do it, rather than just sending them, here's 10 vulnerabilities you need to come fix.
1: 100%. So what I absolutely preach when, when speaking to colleagues aspiring to grow into a CISO role on, or, or get better noticed on, on, the, on, on the top level is never forget, but keep all your technical knowledge in mind. Use it. It is your superpower, but learn to speak business language with the business. Because if you come and say, oh my God, the main controller, 600 vulnerabilities, internet exposed on port number, whatever they go like, mm, okay, where is this CIO who typically translates this for me? And when you come and say, look, there is such and such probability of us losing so, so much money this year because of all the possible things that can go wrong with cyber attack, the moment you make it about money, you get their attention, right? The moment you make it about whatever is important for them in in the... Uh, absolutely, if, there, if it's an OT and you say, look, you are actually exposing your... your People, there's a life hazard. You got their attention. And if you can explain it in in terms they can understand. So what is a vulnerability? It's a weakness. What is a weakness? A weakness? Well, vulnerability of your home is that you have actually doors and windows. So this is why you have locks and your windows are relatively solid. You can't just open them, uh, et cetera. When when you make it real, when when you translate what this vulnerability means, and you always uh, remind your business counterparts that, look, it is... A, it's, it's a game of probabilities, and B, we and we as risk practitioners understand that information security risk is just a, one of the facets of many, many, many other risks. All the pestle approach that uh, you you have to deal you have to deal with and make risk aware decisions and. Put the, the benefit make a benefit, risk benefit analysis before making a decision? So, in all the risk acceptance and risk presentations I'm having inside the company, I, I always caveat with saying, Look, I, my job is to present you information security risk viewpoint. You, as a, an asset owner and you, as a, as a future risk, potential risk owner, you obviously have a, your a broader picture that you must consider and ideally let us consider it together. Helping you to make more decisions, which I believe is the most important, the essence of job of risk practitioners, helping business to make risk aware decisions.
0: Yeah, because ultimately you don't own the risk; you're helping them understand it, and then they make an informed decision. Last time we spoke, you spoke a bit about business continuity and resilience. So we always like to do a bit of a deep dive subject. So let's talk about continuity and resilience as as a concept. Can you talk me through the approach uh, for business continuity and resilience within your organization?
1: Absolutely. So what what I notice is that uh, the topic of business continuity and IT disaster recovery is really taking traction and gains in popularity, because what is it? It is ultimately, it's your, if all else fails, plan. And I always recommend starting it by sitting down with executives and saying, okay, how much can your business stand still? Have you thought about this? And not even because of IT, but it can be COVID. It can be fires, flood, hurricanes, acts of war, what have you. Have you thought about what is the maximum period the whole business can stand still without destroying it or without, actually, if you thought about without destroying it, then what about without causing material financial impact? Have you defined this? This is typically a starting point that gets colleagues in the business, business owners, gets, them, um, gets the thought running. Afterwards, it's very important to make a dashed line between business continuity and IT disaster recovery. So what is business continuity? Business continuity is the ability of business processes, mission-critical business processes, to continue running following a major interruption. And major interruption can be technological. It can be absolutely non-technological. As mentioned, facilities burned down, office disconnected from power, there's a, there's a hurricane or fly, flood, flood or whatever it is. And this, this is business continuity. It, it is much more sophisticated, I would say, than uh, a pure IT disaster recovery, hitting your recovery time objectives, recovery point objectives. Um, once those two concepts are, are understood and colleagues are well, buying into them, understanding them. The next step is to uh, is business impact analysis, understanding what are all the dependencies for selected mission-critical business processes. Or let's take a step back, defining those mission-critical business processes. What are they and who owns them within the company? Very important. Followed by speaking to those people and asking what is, from their perspective, maximum allowable downtime. How long can you stay without a particular business process? And then what always, what always helps is to speak with finance and say, okay, let's assume this business process is down. When will we start losing money and how much money will we as a company lose? Because there's whatever, no revenue stream for one minute, one hour, one day, one week, one month. Sometimes the re- answers vary and it is, then it is a job of, of uh, whoever is in charge of business continuity to reconcile those. Ultimately, bringing it to top dogs who make a decision, and then deciding what what are our officially recognized maximum allowable downtimes for each business process and each line of businesses, each geography, what have you. And only then comes in IT. Uh, obviously, every or most enterprises these days are IT, IT enterprises, and uh, that, that that's very well understood, hence such an importance of IT. But IT only comes in when there is a good understanding on the business side. What is it that we can afford? Then the conversation, and remember, we've already done the business impact analysis, so we have decent understanding what IT systems users or process practitioners believe are enabling, or know, are enabling uh, their business processes. Then comes in IT, and the question goes to IT. So if we were to recover it from scratch, imagine data center burned down, or you are under uh, an attack that has completely wiped out your IT infrastructure, what will it take you to recover? How, far, how how long it will take you to recover, and um, what is the recovery point objective? Right. So, what how much data will be lost? Then starts a conversation. Have we tested it? Is it realistic? Da, 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 da. Uh, ultimately arriving at a uh, at a real or at the first expected. Then, if we get a chance to test, we must get a chance to test eventually. Actual recovery point, recovery time objective, uh, and then we come back to the business and say, dear business. This is what IT can actually do. Is this good enough, right? Let us sit together and see how far is recovery time, recovery point objective from from actual uh, expected. And if they're far away, far apart, the question becomes, how do we close this gap? And it can be done through technology. IT becomes faster, up to whatever hot standby for one data center, while one set of infrastructure fails. Uh, hand over to another to, it actually is all on business, right? So the downtime, so-called downtime procedures kick in and people know worst case, no IT systems, pen, paper, fax devices, what have you, telex devices, you start taking orders, communicating with each other and what have you. So that, that's, that's the point. Another important aspect that often gets overlooked in, in the whole business continuity disaster recovery aspect is, is a concept of vital records. Also very, very important one. So let's say you've defined your, business process, your downtime procedures, everybody knows what, what is it that they should perform, how they will perform, or where, where they go and buy a laptop if their laptop is destroyed. And then comes the question, okay, do you know whom will you call? Or do you have the bits of data need, required to execute your business processes? Do you know where are your who are your creditors? Who is supposed to execute your orders? What have you? So the, this, this vital data, vital records, so-called vital records are extremely important to actually execute your downtime procedures. And this typically comes as a, well, realization at the end of business continuity project. Hey, we we also need to upgrade the the whole vital record system, right? Because it may be similar. We do weekly dumps of data and we pretty much know who to communicate, how to communicate, how to execute business processes. But there is typically after one, two, three tabletops and exercises, an appetite to have something a little bit more automated. So we don't have to manually dump record or vital records every day week month whatever it is but it actually is is there and verified by, um, by by automation
0: yeah i mean one of the things that i think i think a few years ago people falling out of doing bc as much as business continuity as much but i think probably the last 4 years or 3 or 4 years with covid the war in ukraine the natural disasters that there's been is really making people think actually We need to be a lot more on top of this. And there's also things like uh, operational resilience in banking, where they're, they're now being told they have to do it. They have to put money aside. They have to build resilient systems. If they were to fail, that their banking system wouldn't go down and all the things we saw a few weeks ago wouldn't happen. But yeah, it's a really, really big change. So you've talked about what your program is. What do you believe, like if you have to say, the three key benefits of an effective business continuity program?
1: So it is it is your enterprise, overall enterprise resiliency. Business properly done, business continuity contributes to to your enterprise resilience. That ultimately, you can see it as, well, threefold. Number one, it's your risk uh, mitigation, in some cases, risk avoidance mechanism. So you de-risk the company. If you have thought about what will you do in an event of cyber attack, Fire flood, you name whatever your threat scenarios are. Uh, it, it's already a step one. If you've documented this and you took the knowledge out of tribal knowledge and put it on paper, you you've made one more step. If you tested it, even in, in a tabletop, just sitting and uh, playing it as a, as a as a table tabletop game, you, you've made three steps ahead. So you thought about everything that well, not everything, but a lot of things. that What will go wrong? What can go wrong? So you by just doing those relatively simple things. You take your company, well, you save yourselves hours, if not days, of initial crisis phase. So this is de-risking the company. Second, it's actually uh, avoiding some costs. Uh, believe it or not, uh, looking at the, for example, insurance, uh, cyber insurance area, uh, one of the questions they're asking is, what are your recovery plans? Business continuity, disaster recovery, tested, not tested, at the very least, do you have backups? And now, not only insurance companies, but also um, um, your banks, lenders, debt and equity holders are interested to know how is your company performing in in the business continuity disaster recovery space. So this is is cost avoidance. And third, which is also quite important, is actually you are, by doing this, by practicing, by having business continuity, by practicing it, You are signaling, you you will be in a position to signal to your prospect and existing customers that continuity of business, ability to serve your customers is taken seriously at a particular business place. So, uh, helping indirectly, but still helping to uh, retain existing revenue streams and win new ones. So this is huge. Last but not least, ESG score. ESG score is actually uh, considering uh, business continuity disaster recovery aspects, and you can add a couple of points on top of your existing score by by having a mature business continuity program. So all for-profit companies care about costs and revenues. Uh, All companies care about risk and ESG aspects are applicable to them. So business continuity is one of those things that that's good for the company. Last point is what I have seen that business continuity and disaster recovery when executed together, they are a tremendous booster of conversation between IT, data, risk, and business owners. So you bring people together at a table and they learn to understand and appreciate why certain business processes depend on certain IT systems and how they're actually interlinked between each other. So by by executing your your business impact analysis and tabletops, you uh, demolish those, those walls, metaphorical walls that have seen so many pigs flying back and forth. And it also helps folks on both sides of, of the table to appreciate the work others are doing a, a little more. Because when you start thinking about downtime procedures and, and all the the, 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 the the hoops that people need, will need to jump over businesses, well, okay, IT probably is, is an enabler for us. Uh, now we see it, hopefully we see it again, where this is one, yet another confirmation. And um, also the, the IT folks, they see how, how much business people do, whatever function it is, right? So from one function to another from and they, they really said that no those are not users. It's actually wow, people who do the business respect.
0: So you've obviously set up this program. It's going really well. What lessons learned? Are there some things that you think if you could do it again that you'd want to share to our listeners?
1: It probably is worth its its own episode, but what, what I will say, if nothing else Make sure that your business continuity program, not even disaster recovery, business continuity program is sponsored from the very top. Because if it isn't, it will be much more, well, your chances of success are, are, are going down. That, that will be number one. Number two, make sure it is clear that it isn't IT project, because it isn't. It is a business project, business resiliency, where IT is just one of many components. And I kept on repeating, and I keep on repeating, you you hear it, that cyber is just one of many things that can go wrong with your business processes. It's everything you revealed during business impact assessment and analysis, where look, people, facilities, suppliers, electricity, and telephone companies, they, they all play their, their part. So it's by far not an IT project, so ne- never, ever pitch it as as an IT project. IT can be very well positioned to kickstart it because they have an expertise. Now, this brings me to my third point. Make sure it's very important that there is a business representative spearheading the business continuity part. Because, again, this is not an IT project. It's a business project where IT plays a significant part. We we help to kickstart it because, again, because we have expertise, but then we should start it rolling and hand it over to somebody in business to keep on running it.
0: Fantastic. So we're going to flip back into some of, I guess, the more standard questions now. So what are you doing at the moment that you think is really working and making a difference in the business?
1: Quarterly risk reviews. Let's scratch the word quarterly and replace it with regular. Regular risk reviews and regularity and frequency every every listener will, will define for their particular business uh, and lines of business inside it. But speaking to both asset owners and risk owners, helping to realize what are material information security risks impacting their sy- systems that are enabling particular business processes, this is, it can, consumes probably good 20%, 20 to 30% of my time to, throughout the year. So regular scheduled uh, risk reviews, as well as ad hoc or project specific risk reviews. So helping all the stakeholders who should be making decisions to make risk-aware decisions. That That is absolutely crucial in elevating risk-aware culture across the enterprise. So it's not like, well, I guess security or IT will take care of it. It's like, hmm, there are, there are privacy risks, there are uh, information security risks. How do I think about them together with people from IT, those who understand how systems are running, before we put something in production, before we put something in place? That is probably the key element that really, really works well.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, I can imagine like actually getting them to understand and working on that kind of understanding the risk, explaining to them, and as we said before, like bringing it down to their level so they understand how it impacts on the business can make a huge difference. So what are the biggest challenges that you have?
1: I probably will will not offer any unique perspective. It's people. Finding the right people, retaining the right people, making sure your people are happy and making sure your stakeholders are, um, are, are happy. So people side of this job is, is one of the biggest, It's not the biggest side of, of this job. Followed probably by time. Everybody or many of my colleagues and friends and peers in the industry, they wish they had more hours in the day. So finding the right time. And my answer here is, Prioritize, prioritize, prioritize. And it is actually about saying no to a lot of fantastic things, but it is about prioritization and, well, protecting your time, right? So make sure you're, you, you set the set proper boundaries.
0: If you don't end up nailing your colors to the mast that this is the most important thing, this is the thing I need to work on and putting time aside from it. You can be two weeks later and you've, you've just spent time in meetings and you've not pushed things forward and it, <laughs> we all can do it right the meeting fatigue and (laughs) it it can get a bit much
1: absolutely and this is where i think for example kanban help helps a lot right so be the really full full scrum implementation agile implementation or just a kanban board or a backlog doing done you still get an opportunity to sort topics uh actions deliverables activities whatever however you call them by by importance and the, pick the ones put on top the ones that are really important, right? So then you always.
0: I live in Trello. My wife, <laughs> everything is in a Kanban board, and she's like, <laughs> "How do you do this stuff?" I'm just like, "You just get used to it, because otherwise you forget things."
1: Absolutely, and then in, in those who, those of us who do journaling, be it daily, weekly, monthly, whatever, it's always uh, it was a very good advice I've, I've heard many years ago to whenever you do journaling, allocate one segment, one section to call out the most important task for whatever it is, day, week, month, and then that that helps you to a reflect on what's actually important today. Maybe work, hopefully sometimes not work, and then really prioritize it and put it. Allocated, slotted uh, within the time when you're most productive. Saying, "Okay, I, I said this is the most important task. Let me protect this task and get it get it executed." Hundred
0: percent. So let's talk a little bit something different here. So you talked about people, but can you talk me through what you think a great information security professional looks like? What What do you look for when you're hiring? It really, really depends on what role, but in general, it's
1: attitude and aptitude, uh, desire to go. So we are, we're far past the stage where you can say, okay, I want, here's a full list. And then there's a, a selection of uh, IT professionals or cybersecurity professionals that you can, you can choose from. It's actually a, what what I value the most is ability to continuously develop and pivot, because I believe this is one of, one of the key success factors in all professions, I, I guess, but information security for sure, because information security professionals in small teams, I, I give, give you that, that in huge teams, you probably might be focused only on a topic, whatever, vulnerability scans, not even assessments or or management just scans and you're really good at it. Can, can, can be the case, but in, in smaller and mid-sized companies. You need to be to, to an extent relatively universal with certain um, areas of expertise. And for, and again, this, this advice or this, this perspective goes to those working in smaller and mid sized teams. Um, your, your ability to flex, be flexible. And not saying, well, I'm. I've seen colleagues who said, well, I am a firewall rules expert, and that's what I do, and that's what I intend to do for the rest of my life. That probably is is, is a workable scenario. So um, don't get me wrong. Uh, but the if the, those who strive for you know continuous development, evolution, they have much more intense lives. Um, somebody will say it's it's catastrophic. Somebody will say, "Well, this is life, right?" So uh, again, um, know what, what's good for you, know what floats your boat, and, and then then follow it. But um, what what is important in smaller, nimble, agile teams is the ability to actually pick up new skills relatively quick. Very important is that be open to learning and be open to absorbing new skills, applying them on, on the fly. That, that that that's quite important. So this is from kind of hard skills. And, and traits. The, the higher you get, and it's not only in information security; it's pretty much everywhere. The the more people side and customer management side, internal external customers, become becomes of, of an importance. So uh, emotional EQ is becoming more and more a thing. The ability to listen to to your customers, understand what they need, yeah, signal that you understand what what they need, adjust and pivot and deliver. That 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 that's key. So execution is probably the third one I, I would call out because with pure sales, sales, be it internally, externally, you can go only thus far. At some point in time, you'll be asked to present results of, of uh, your execution. And execution is, is key, information security, as, as well as in other business areas, of course.
0: I think, th- I think the nice kind of thing that you said there, which is, First of all, I think you need to, and and then kind of that first bit of knowing a lot of things really helps with the business communication, because if you get very focused on one area, I think to be good information security professional, exactly what you said is you need to be able to communicate, obviously deliver things. That's an absolute (laughs) must. But for me, it's like, if you can't communicate upwards, you could be the best technical person in the world. But if you can't explain the problem to the business stakeholders and get buy-in and change, ultimately, you're not going to be successful.
1: You will not be successful as probably a CISO
0: or yeah. As long as you've got that person who can do it, right? I guess.
1: Well, good thing is there are different places or roles in, in, inside information security. So folks who hate communicating or spe- speaking business, as one of my old old colleagues put it, uh, don't don't worry, it, it's all, all good. It's just you need to be in the, in the right place, I guess, right? So if if you are facing customers. You need to have good customer skills. You need to speak their language, right? If if you are in a, in a, in a director, manager, CISO position, you need to understand basics of PNL. You need to understand NPV rate of return, what what have you, so that you can uh, speak the same language with with finance people and with business people actually who who think in, in numbers.
0: So I'm going to throw you the curveball, which I, uh, we throw at everyone. If you could have one security problem to fix, what would it be?
1: And let let me kind of give you a peek behind behind the curtain. I I spoke to Steve of a huge company. It's a huge company a couple of what was it already months back, and I asked him the same question. And he said, "Well, we're here in security. We're not here to wave magic wands. We just work hard and get things done." I was like, "Okay, that fair. That that is an answer." My next tempting. Answer is uh, make fishing go away. But then, as you can imagine, right? So if you cut one head of a hydra, two more heads appear. So you you never know. Maybe fishing isn't that bad. If we we cut off fishing, then whatever some other forms of initial access will will appear that will make life. I would wish that everybody working in IT and in information security in particular would would become a little bit more self-aware, calmer, relaxed, so that too shall pass type of attitude, but not to an extreme. I've seen it when it's like, yeah, we're we'll around somewhere, That's, that too shall pass, not not to that extreme, but uh, many of us are, are really, really pushing pushing it and they're pushing it into unhealthy work hours or really get, well, burnout occurs. So a little bit more uh, self-awareness and, and zen, calm in their lives. So that would be my Magic one wish.
0: Fantastic. So one of the things that we always like to do is ask if other security leaders should we have in this podcast? Is there anyone that you'd like to recommend that we have on the podcast?
1: Yes. So I, I thought of two people. One of them I know, one of them I, I don't know personally. Um, so the person I know is Mark Conley, who was CEO of Thomson Reuters. He was CEO of Boston Consulting Group. And um, he's one of the people from whom I learned a ton of things. And um, so he is absolutely my yeah, role model in, in the CISO world. Uh, a person who I don't know, but I I'm absolutely so the, the, actually person who who was a trigger for me to start moving into the information security space is Steve Gibson from uh, Gibson Research Corporation in, in California, and I'm um, one of one of the pioneers of information security podcasts initially. It's started as 15 minutes podcasts and then evolved into into uh longer ones He's a a fantastic person and um everybody can learn so much from him i hope it's okay that i'm doing a little bit of advertisement
0: no 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 go for it it's always it's always nice to hear people's stories and a bit more behind them so look alex really appreciate it thank you so much for your time if our listeners want to hear a bit more from you connect with you where's the best place to get in touch
1: LinkedIn. Let let's let's connect on LinkedIn. Let's talk about business continuity, Zen information security, or anything else.
0: Thank you. All right, thank you, Alex. Thank you for having me.